welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. We have arrived in a post-truth era where alternative facts have replaced actual facts and feelings carry more weight than evidence. Uh, the experts say that we are now in a Western society living in a post-truth era. That is what this era is now called. People are throwing away the truth um, and, and instead grabbing hold of things that aren't really true. So how do we navigate our way through this era as Bible-believing Christians with love and with truth. It's, it's tricky, and um, we're going to be answering that question again in a little bit more depth this morning. Um, how did we get here? The, the, the day that we are living in right now, it wasn't like this 25 years ago uh, where Christy and I got married. It wasn't like this 50 or 100 years ago. Just in the last couple of decades, things have shifted, things have changed. And we've got to ask the question, how have we got into this place as a Western society where people are now throwing away truth and saying, well, we prefer non-truth. We're living in a non-truth era. How have we gotten here? And I think the answer, as always, is in the Bible. Let's have a look at Romans 1, uh, starting at verse 18. Very relevant. This could have been written yesterday. For God in heaven unveils His holy anger, breaking forth against every form of sin, both towards ungodliness that lives in hearts and evil actions. For the wickedness of humanity deliberately smothers the truth and keeps people from acknowledging the truth about God. In reality, the truth of God is known instinctively, for God has embedded this knowledge inside every human heart. Opposition to truth cannot be excused on the basis of ignorance because from the creation of the world, the invisible qualities of God's nature have been visible, such as His eternal power and transcendence. He has made His wonderful attributes easily perceived. For seeing the visible makes us understand the invisible, so then this leaves everyone without excuse. Throughout human history, the fingerprints of God were upon them, yet they refused to honour Him as God or even be thankful for His kindness. Instead, they entertained corrupt and foolish thoughts about what God was like. This left them with nothing but misguided hearts steeped in moral darkness. Verse 24. This is why God lifted off His restraining hand and let them have full expression of their sinful and shameful desires. They were given over to moral depravity, dishonouring their bodies by sexual perversion among themselves, all because they traded the truth of God for a lie. Now, people say that the, the judgment of God is coming and we've got to expect earthquakes and, and volcanoes. When you read this, we can see very clearly that the judgment of God is just God lifting His hand of blessing off people and allowing them to, to crave the things and to live the consequences of what they are craving. They worshipped and served the things God made rather than the God who made all things. Glory and praises to Him forever and ever. Amen. They traded the truth of God for a lie. Isn't the Bible so relevant? 
I read these things, I think, man, that is so for today. And uh, there, there are many enemies of truth in this world right now. We, we all see uh, the world through a different lens, a filter, and they are called worldviews. And I just want to give a bit of a shout out for Theos U, Nathan Finocchio. He's an incredible theologian. Um, he doesn't look like one, uh, but, but he is incredible. And I do want to um, acknowledge that you know, some of the, the foundational stuff of this message I've, I've gleaned from his stuff. But I wanted to, to sort of maybe share four enemies of the truth that this society that we are now living in now, the post-truth society, that this society have grabbed a hold of these four worldviews um, and they are all in complete contrast to a Christian worldview. And, and how do we navigate that? I was reading this morning in, in Isaiah 40 how it says, make the crooked paths straight in preparation for the glory of God. Now, perhaps we are living crooked paths and uh, we need to understand and get a, a more of a, a, a straight, clear perspective of what God is wanting for us as believers in this crooked generation. So um, there's been a massive shift in belief in the last 25 years. I just want to share four isms with you this morning, and we're going to go into a little bit of depth, maybe sort of an advertisement for tonight, actually, a little bit. Uh, but then, then we're going to have a look at what Christianity teaches in contrast. So there's relativism, sexual revolution, Gnosticism, and individualism. If there ever was a message that you needed to take notes, it was now. And I thank you to everyone who's been born again. For, for you know, I can see you here right now. Um, or taking your, your, your phones out and the notes are already there on the Bible app. You, you, you're going to want to remember this. So the first one, relativism. This is a worldview that the, Bible, uh, that the world now is teaching very strongly and promoting. Relativism, what does that mean? So in a nutshell, relativism teaches that there is no right way to view the world, that there is no one story. So it's all relative. So all the religions are just different people's points of view that, that we all have a different story in which to view this world. There is no one right story. Truth is therefore all relative depending on where you live and what age you are and what uh, era you were born in. So there is no right way. There is no one story. Relativism teaches that making truth statements is a form of power and oppression. So if ever we say this is right and this is wrong, if ever anyone makes a truth statement, that person now is an oppressor. And those people that make truth statements seek to oppress those who are vulnerable. And we're living in this time. And so no one wants to be known as an oppressor, so everyone wants to feel that they are oppressed, so the whole of society pretty much is taking on a victim mentality, and if anyone challenges their way of life, then that person is the evil, wicked person, that person is the oppressor. Don't know if you've been keeping up with the hate speech um, dialogue, it's quite disturbing when you read that there is no definition of what hate speech is. And at this point in time with the proposed law, that the definition of hate speech is basically up to the person who feels that they are being hated on. So what if I was a European guy and I wanted to go to an unreached people group that didn't have any idea of, of Jesus and the truth? And and they were living in a way that was destructive. There is a, a tribe, I think it's in South America, and they believe that um, all the men of that tribe needs to sleep with all the women 
Um, it's basically taking, you know, the whole village raises a child to a next level. So all the men of the village will sleep with this one woman and that one woman will obviously get pregnant. And then all the men believe that they are all the fathers of that one child, uh, which really goes against science when you think about it. But if I, as a, a missionary European, were to go to that tribe and say, there is a better way of life, his name is Jesus, then I would be called an oppressor. People would say that my truth is not relative to them. Um, and it's all to do with critical race theory, actually. We are living in this time. There is no one story anymore. There is no right way. Which brings me to the third part of relativism. What is right for you might be wrong for me. We, we carry our own truth. And there's so many memes about this or, you know, the, the posters of, of discover your truth, live your own truth. My truth is different to your truth. And I shared a little bit about this um, a few weeks ago. Um, and it really is ridiculous. I love what Ben Shapiro says. He says, there is only truth and your opinion. <laughs> I love that. Um, but I think we get truth mixed up with preferences. I really don't like feel good chick flick movies. You know, my truth is that they are dumb. Uh, Simon's truth is that war movies are the best genre of movies in the world. Um, so I could say, well, that's my truth. And Christy's truth is completely different because she hates war movies. That's not truth. That is preference. Truth is we need air to breathe. If we don't breathe air, we are going to die. That can't be just my truth. And Chrissy says, no, I don't believe in your truth, Simon. I don't need air to live. She'll probably last about a minute and then she would die. There is absolute truth in life. We can't get around that. But relative teachers, what's right for you might be wrong for me. What does the Bible teach? And we'll see as we go on, we are living now more so in this society more than any other time I've been alive that Christianity is counter to the culture, that this culture is now in stark opposition to the Christian faith. What does the Bible teach? That Jesus is not an option. In Acts 4.12, there is no one else who has the power to save us, for there is no one name to whom God has given authority by which we must experience salvation, the name of Jesus. That is absolute truth and it's applicable to everyone. That's what Christianity teaches. It's not popular anymore. Christianity also teaches that if we indulge and practice certain behaviours, then we are gonna reap the destructive consequences of those behaviours. It's called sin. That is an absolute truth. It, it, it doesn't depend on where you were born and, or, or what country you're a part of. See, Christian, Christianity is completely counter to relativism, but relativism is becoming huge. Number two, the sexual revolution. It sort of doesn't end with ism. Sexual revolutionism. Beginning in around the 60s and 70s, basically the sexual revolution was a rebellion against a traditional worldview. And it happened around those times that a couple of things were invented. Birth control was invented and abortion on demand was invented, which basically took away the, well, the, the immediate consequences of sleeping around, which is making babies. You know, before then, if, if you had sex a lot, you were going to become a father or a mother. That was what happened. You couldn't get around that. And that pretty much tempered society. 
but with the, uh, the invention of, of birth control and with abortion on demand, that consequence was sort of pushed away. So everyone now discovered that they could sleep around for, with whoever they wanted, how, how, however they wanted, and there was no real consequences on that level. It was also a rebellion against the Christian worldview that was prevalent at the time. What does the sexual revolution teach? Number one, the highest fulfillment in life is to find sexual fulfillment. That's what the sexual revolution teaches, that the very highest priority is to find sexual fulfillment. That becomes our highest value, is to be sexual fulfilled, sexually fulfilled. So if that's the case, then sexual pursuit trumps everything else. The only thing that is important now in life is to find sexual fulfillment. That is the only thing that will make you truly happy. And a culture that adopts that way of thinking will begin to detest any sort of ethic that confines their highest value, which is sexual liberation. This is what this world now is grabbing a hold of. That's why a lot of people say that the Christians are the enemy because we've got sexual uh, boundaries, obviously. So the highest fulfillment in life is to find sexual fulfillment. The second thing that sexual revolution teaches is because erotic love is now the highest love, commitment and self-sacrifice are irrelevant. So if the highest goal and the value in my life is to find sexual fulfillment and sexual freedom and my wife of 25 years isn't giving me that, then that is irrelevant now. Um, then I am gonna go and find that somewhere else. And I don't care if all my family and all, all the things that I've built up and all my, all my Christian worldview and all my, uh, the vows that I took, that doesn't mean anything anymore. Self-sacrifice doesn't mean anything anymore. My promises don't mean anything anymore because sexual love is the highest goal. So I am free to, to give all that away or to throw it all away and to start pursuing the highest goal. This is causing destruction to all of the Western society. Divorce is, is a pandemic now. Families are being broken apart. What does Christianity teach? Again, completely Counterculture to what we are, what we are living. Mark ten verse six to eight. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Ephesians 5, 25. And to the husbands, you are to demonstrate love for your wives with the same tender devotion that Christ demonstrated to us, His bride. For He died for us, sacrificing Himself. What does Christianity teach? That we're married for life. That the marriage covenant brings so much blessing that it's an amazing picture of family. It's an amazing picture of how Jesus loved the church and He gave His whole life for her. As husbands, we should be self-sacrificing and ready and willing to give our whole entire lives for our wives. Christy, I love you. You're the best thing in my life. There's blessing in the boundaries of what God has made. But again, that's completely counter to the culture now that we are living in and more so. Gnosticism number three, which is huge in the early church and it's becoming huge now. So Gnosticism is sort of the belief that our physical 
bodies and what we do are essentially evil and can't be redeemed. And then we've got the sort of ethereal spiritual side to us and, and that's, that's the good side. Uh, but it means that then there is a separation between what we do and what we believe. So what I do and how I be, uh, behave in life doesn't matter at all. It's only about this, this spiritual me that's the important thing. And this was huge in the times of the New Testament, and it is huge now. Gnosticism teaches that there is a separation between our spirituality and our actions. Gnosticism teaches that there is a difference between the physical me and the spiritual true me. Now, I need to explain this a little bit more. So Gnosticism now is like, we can be extremely spiritual and we can talk a whole lot of spiritual um, lingo and jargon and we can believe a whole lot of spiritual stuff, but all of that, all of that belief doesn't matter at all um, in regards to my life and my behaviour and my actions here. So I can do whatever I want and it won't um, make an impact on the spiritual me. That's why people can come to church and be like Christians on Sunday and then, as the saying goes, live like the devil on Monday to Saturday. And this is becoming huge because spirituality is in vogue right now. What does the Bible teach? What we do matters that our actions have a huge effect, that we are triune beings, we are spirit, uh, we are soul, our mind, will, and our emotions, and we are a body, we are triune beings, and, and all of those three parts, are, I guess, are, are different, obviously, but they are all entwined, they are all connected, they all impact on each other. And we see this very clearly in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18. Run from sexual sin, no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. So obviously what we do in our body affects um, our spirit and vice versa. Don't you realise that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. You must honour God with your body. We must honour God with our actions. We must honour God with our behaviour. Again, completely counterculture when you really think about the fourth one, individualism, which teaches the farther you get away from the boundaries and expectations of tradition, religion, authority and family, the more you will discover your true self. So what individualism teaches is that we have been brought up and we are very confined and, and to find our true selves, we need to throw off all restraint and all tradition and everything that we've been taught. And that includes authority and our family and our traditions and our culture and throw it all away and really start to discover the true self, the true Simon Drake. That is the only way I can be truly happy is to throw off all restraint. The Bible talks about that. It teaches that your deepest desires are the true you. And to deny your compulsions means to deny the true you, even if your compulsions are dark. This is what this world is teaching and believing now, individualism, that you know, even if you have this compulsion to do something that maybe your friends don't agree with, then you 
need to follow your heart and you need to follow your compulsions. And the only way you're gonna be truly happy is to know your own truth and to believe and to trust and to follow your own compulsions, even if people think they are wrong. Now, people argue that now with with same sex and, and transgender and all that, but you can take that way of thinking and use exactly the same argument to start to contone pedophilia when you think about it. And this is, you know, there's a TED talk all about this. This is like the logical conclusion of individualism. If we are to find our true you and if we are to be really true to ourselves and to be truly happy, then we need to follow our compulsions. That is the logical conclusion. That's probably what serial murderers say. I'm just following my heart. It's real quiet. Is this good? You guys told you you guys should have been taking notes this morning. Relativism. Sexual revolution, Gnosticism, individualism. What does Christianity teach? You find who you are when you are in right relationship with God and when you are in right relationship with others. That spiritual maturity does not happen outside of community. That to discover the true you is who you are in Jesus. The new creation you, the you that, Jesus created you to be. That is the true you. And the closer you get to Jesus, the more you'll discover the true you. And the true you sometimes means denying your old you. The Bible says, take up your cross, deny yourself, not throw away all restraint and follow your desires. Deny yourself and follow me. Those that lose their life for my sake will will gain true life in me, the Bible says. Again, completely counter what individualism teaches. The true you is who you were created to be by God. And you'll discover the true you by saying, I surrender all God and I'm following you with all of my heart. That's what water baptism symbolises. I've been using this phrase, counterculture, along the way. What does that actually mean? Counterculture is a way of life and set of attitudes opposed to or at variance with the prevailing social norm. Counterculture is a way of life and set of attitudes opposed to or at variance with the prevailing social norm. Christianity is one million percent counterculture now. What we are living is completely counterculture to what the world now is grabbing a hold of and promoting. We can no longer sit on the fence. This is a big deal. What does James 4, 1 to 4 says? What is the cause of your conflicts and quarrels with each other? Doesn't the battle begin inside of you as you fight to have your own way and fulfill your own desires? Verse 4, you have become spiritual adulterers who are having an affair, an unholy relationship with the world. Don't you know that flirting with the world's values places you at odds with God? Flirting with thoughts of sexual revolution, of individualism, of Gnosticism, of relativism. Don't you know that flirting with the world's values places you at odds with God? Whoever chooses to be the world's friend makes himself God's enemy. Obviously, it's not talking about people of the world. We are called to love and to have compassion and to be not judgmental on the people of the world. This is talking about the worldview of the world right now. And what does it say? 
Whoever chooses to be the world's friend makes himself God's enemy. This is my opinion right now. And most of my life, there's been black and white, there's been right and wrong. But when you live day by day, it sort of really hasn't affected our lives because you can just go along in society and do your own thing and, and, and no one really cares. There's like black and white, right and wrong and there's massive gray area. There's been like a big gray area. What is happening right now is that gray area is shrinking so fast that there is black and there is white, there is white and there is wrong and the day is coming and it's probably already here in New Zealand or getting very close that by just simply living as a Christian and believing the Bible, it is going to cost us. It will mean that we are disliked and rejected and are called haters when absolutely that's not our heart. We are living in those times now. Um, and, and when you look at you know, communist China and what the Christians went through and other places of persecution, they had to all face this as well. I'm not saying that we're facing martyrdom here, but absolutely the way New Zealand is thinking now, generally, Christianity is totally counterculture. It's gonna mean that we perhaps are gonna face some things in our lives that we haven't before now. The cool thing is whenever that happens in society, the church of Jesus just gets so much brighter. People start getting saved and people start getting set free and it just explodes. And we've been praying for a long time that God would bring revival. <laughs> 2 Timothy 4, 3, 5. For the time is coming when they will no longer listen and respond to the healing words of truth because they will become selfish and proud. They will seek out teachers with soothing words that line up with their desires, saying just what they want to hear. They will close their ears to the truth and believe nothing but fables and myths. So be alert to all these things and overcome every form of evil. I'm just going to read that again again. It's just so relevant. For the time is coming when they will no longer listen and respond to the healing words of truth because they will become selfish and proud. They will seek out teachers with soothing words that line up with their desires, saying just what they wanna hear. They will close their ears to the truth and believe nothing but fables and myths. So be alert to all these things and overcome every form of evil. Carry in your heart the passion of your calling as a church planter and evangelist and fulfill your ministry calling. This is Paul talking to uh, Timothy, was a young pastor. Obviously, Timothy's giftings were a ch of church planting and an evangelist. But we've all been called. We've all got gifts from God. Carry in your heart the passion of your calling and fulfill your ministry calling. I wanna give all of us that challenge here and listening to this today. Carry in your heart the passion of your calling and fulfill your ministry calling. Number one, do you know your call? Like I said last week, every single one of us, we have been called and gifted to play a part in the disciple making pro process. Every single one of us are called. Number one, do you know your call? Number two, have you still got the passion for your call? Or have you fallen asleep with your call? If we fulfill our call, that is gonna bring eternal fruit. Do you know your call? Are you walking in your call? Are you passionate about your call? Carry in your heart the passion for your calling and fulfill your 
ministry calling, your ministry calling. You have this amazing, unique, specific call in your life and God's made you really good at that. There is a grace and a supernatural uh, ability to do amazing things on your life in your ministry call. Do you know it? Are you living in it? Are you taking that call seriously? What will it take for Whanganei to completely turn around? The Christians to know their call, to be passionate about their call, and to walk in their call. Is it that simple? Absolutely. Obviously, we give our life to Jesus, we discover our call, we get passionate about it, and we walk in it. Really simple. So in conclusion, Pilate asked Jesus the question, what is truth? So we still need to ask that question. The truth of that is, truth is a person. John 14, 6. Jesus told him, this is before the Pilate, um, it's a different place. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. People are asking, what is truth? And we know what truth is now. Jesus said, he is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. That is an absolute statement. It's not true for one person and not true for another person. That is true for the whole world. Because this whole world was lost. We were all lost in our sin. And, and the Father sent His Son to save us. That is how true this is. The way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Truth is a person. John 8 verse 31. Jesus said to the people who believed in Him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We just learned that truth is a person. You will know the truth. You will know Jesus and the truth will set you free. You will know Jesus and Jesus will set you free. The hope of this world is not believing in another ism, it's believing Jesus to find freedom in Him, is to know Him. Like I said a couple of weeks ago, this world in the West, we are the most unhappy we've been in 50 years. We are the most addicted. We are the most enslaved. We are the most depressed. We are the most, did I say medicated? How is the isms working for us? How has the sexual revelation, revolution actually worked for this world? Are we any better? Are we any happier? What about relativism? What about Gnosticism? It's not working. It's not working because truth isn't found there. Jesus is a person. Verse 34, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Just in case we thought that Jesus was just joking. I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. Jesus wants to bring freedom to people. I don't get why people say that Christianity is just a oppressing um, you know, dictatorship of a, of a belief. It's not. Jesus came into the world not to condemn, but to rescue people. I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is a part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Love that. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Lee, if you could just jump on the keyboard, would be great. Not literally. That would be funny, figuratively. 
Knowing the truth is to find freedom. To know Jesus is to know freedom. Know Jesus and you will find freedom. This world is so enslaved and so bound and a lot of them don't know it. We know it and we have the truth and the truth has set us free. We each have a call. Our call is not to go and to condemn the world but to go and start to rescue the people from the world. So in conclusion, did I say in conclusion twice? Second conclusion. Just as a bit of an analogy. (laughs) Say if I was walking along the beach one day and maybe there was like a king tide or something, but I found at my feet this massive fish, say like a 30 pound snapper or something. A lot of guys' eyes just like, whoa, I'm awake now. No, just kidding. Um, This massive snapper on the beach by my feet and it was flapping around, you know, like they do it. and I realized that that fish was in trouble. And I'm thinking, I, I just need to make this fish happier. I need to fulfill his needs somehow. I know what, I'm gonna give him some money because if we have more money, then we have less stress in life. So I'm gonna give him like $100,000 and you get this $100,000 in a briefcase and you lay it down by this fish that's flapping around. It's like, you have all the money in the world now and are you gonna be any more fulfilled? That fish does not wanna be richer. That fish needs water. So although I give him a whole lot of money, he is not really gonna be happy. What do I say? Well, uh, maybe you just need a nice cold bear, you know? Uh, You're a kiwi fish after all. And you just get a six pack and you put it down by him and then he'll be happy. He's gonna be, uh, you know, his thirst will be quenched. And it's like, that bear is not gonna save him. Let's say I think, well, you know, you maybe need to be popular in life. I'll, just, I'll set up a, a TikTok account um, and have a little tripod there because you'll get heaps of followers. People are gonna be following your life. And uh, after a while, he has like 100,000 followers on TikTok or something. He's found fame. He's found fortune. He's found uh, some sort of comfort, perhaps. It's not gonna save him. Only one thing will save him. Maybe I think, well, no, like we've been talking, sexual liberation. Maybe I'll, I'll give him a subscription to like Playfish magazine or <laughs> Tinder or something. And I set him up with that. That's not gonna bring him peace. I don't even think it'll, it'll dull the need for him to breathe. He needs water. I can give him everything in the world possibly to ease his situation, but there is only one thing that will rescue him. And that's getting him into the environment that he was born to be in. We all as mankind, we are like that fish on the beach. And we think that to bring fulfilment to our life and to bring some sort of meaning and healing and and lasting fulfilment, we just fill our lives with fame and fortune and entertainment and trying to fill. It's not gonna rescue mankind. Only one thing will is for us to be in the place that we were designed for. We were designed to be with Jesus. We were created to have relationship for Him. Heaven is our home. And we need rescue. Nothing else will bring fulfilment. So with that in mind, let's just read John 3, 16 to 17. For here is a way God loved the world. He gave His only unique Son as a gift. So now everyone who believes in Him will never perish, but experience everlasting life. This world is lost. The wages of sin is death. We've all sinned. There's only one 
way to rescue us, and that's through the blood of Jesus. If God thought that our, our rescue would mean money, He would have given us money. If it was anything else, He would have given us that. But He knew that our, we needed a Saviour, so He sent His Son, Jesus. God did not send His Son into the world to judge and condemn the world, but to be its Saviour and rescue it. Let's be up on our feet, please. Here is the way God loved the world. He gave His only unique Son as a gift. So now everyone who believes in Him will never perish, but experience everlasting life. God did not send His Son into the world to judge and condemn the world, but to be its Saviour and rescue it. We are called to carry on the mandate, the restorative ministry of, of Jesus, not to go and condemn this world, but to go and start rescuing this world. Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, renewchurch.nz.